hey. park people. Welcome to this week's episode of the 13th Floor Podcast. I'm Cece. I'm James. I'm Alex. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Alex. I'm James. <laughs> I bet you that really um, threw James for a loop, Alex. It did. It's Alex's late April Fool's Day joke for you. <laughs> ah, there we go. He's, he's been thinking about it for like two planning, weeks. I've been planning it for weeks, yeah. Yeah, wow. so anyways, um, welcome back to the podcast, James. I know you've been gone for two weeks, so we're very pleased and excited to have you here. We did have- I'm glad to be uh, back. Yeah, we had some excellent people yeah, fill in while you were absent. So thanks mm-hmm. to Caitlin and Eric again for yep. offering your Definitely. expertise. Yeah. yeah, but they could never replace the one. Uh-oh. The only. James. Sir James. Now, James, have you, you probably haven't. Have you had a chance to listen to those episodes yet? I have. They're really good. Oh. I highly, highly recommend them. Which, oh, yeah. You know, I'm a little biased, but. <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool. Well. We're we're glad to have you back, James. Uh, glad to be back. How have you been adjusting to to life after Las Vegas? Because that's oh, yeah. where you I went, forgot you went to, to Las Vegas. Vegas. Yeah. Still a little jet lagged, um, but which you know, eh, it is what it is. But I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun. It was very productive. It was a vacation, and and uh, glad I'm back. Glad glad my spiders are good. <laughs> Yeah, see, I had no idea that it was a bizcation until you, like, sent me a picture. And I was like, where is James? Yeah, that was a surprise. Uh, I just thought you were going to go, like, look at the fountains and eat at buffets and uh, party hardy. Nope. But then you're like, no, this is work, too. Yeah, yeah, I was at the hardware show. No, we know. Hardware show. James always likes a little business with this pleasure. All oh right. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that we should do some hearty hellos, you guys. Let's do it. Sounds Bitch. good. So we have a new country on the map. Oh, really? Yes, we do. Did and the country just form, or is it a new country Alex, that we haven't had? Before? I'm going to punch you in your tooth. No, we <laughs> want to say a hello and thank you to all of our listeners in Oman. Oh, really? Yes. Hey. So, howdy, howdy, hello. Oh, my. I'm excited oh, about that. Are we glad that we have followers in Oman? Yes. Ha <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh, and James hilarious. both made awful jokes at the same time. Mm. Well, we're also going to say hello to everybody in Italy because Italy's back on the map. Hey. Buongiorno. And then here in the United States of America, we're going to say hello to everybody in Alaska. Alaska? Hey, Alaska. Yeah, I've been meaning to go to you someday. Same. Someday, you guys. Well, until then, you know, you can listen to 13th Floor, all of the streaming services. But we also have a Patreon, don't we, James? We sure do. Yeah, and this week on Friday, we're actually going to be releasing a spider tour. So if you want to (laughs) see James's spiders in video (laughs) format, that is coming out on Friday. It is. Catch it tomorrow. Cool. James. Do we have an icebreaker? Uh, we sure do. I uh, I was thinking about the difference between cults and standard religions, and one of the one of the big key differences is that you know they slowly get people um, isolated from from other non mm-hmm. non cult members. In other words, yeah. and it got me thinking. You know, this is the past two years have been a period where people have actively isolated themselves and i got to thinking if you could live anywhere in the world in terms of i mean you could live in a paradise 
But one of the stipulations had to do with your ideal population size. What would be your ideal like size of a community? Ooh. Hmm. I feel like Alex wants a lot of people is what I feel like. Yeah. I mean, I want all... I want businesses to be thriving. I want restaurants to be popping into. I want. I want all about that GDP. That's right. I want. <laughs> I want that. I want all the accoutrements, you know, that come with mm-hmm. a lot of people. So you know, I want to pick. I don't know. I don't know population size relative to city size. I don't even know. I got no idea. Uh, I want to pick a population of 15,000. Okay. I was I was actually going to recommend 20,000. That seems very up your alley. For there some reason, I was going to say 34,000 for you, Alex, but mm. I feel like I do not necessarily require quite as much, but I still want community. You know what I mean? Mm. So I think that I'm looking at a population of like 5,000 people because mm. I would mm. absolutely adore to have a little house in the country I know Alex does not want that, so I'm probably never going to get my dream home out in the country. You can move out there. But, mm. yeah, I that's what I'm looking at. I want to know mm. a lot of people, but also have my own space to thrive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. What about you, James? Well, I'm glad that we tapered, because um, that's fun. Uh, <laughs> 150. Full-blown tribal, face paint, howling at the moon. Less people is better. 150 people. I love it. So James's idea is to create his own cult. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. I like it. I like it. It's essentially where James is going. I James, appreciate it. I, you know, mm. this is the thing that freaks me out about you. I feel like you could form a cult. You know, you're like the eighth person to tell me that. <laughs> yeah. and, and the That's... other seven have already shaved their heads, so... <laughs> all right well you know what it's time to hop into our topic we're going to talk about cults today who wants to go first it doesn't matter to me i can go first if you want (laughs) (laughs) go for it alex let's let's let alex go i feel like it's been a while since i've gone first anyway you know i'm gonna inch just a little closer to me so my voice is a little more vibrant you probably just heard me move everything (laughs) but i'll Probably heard CC coughing while I was talking. Can't help it. Do not interrupt me again. Just kidding. Um, all right. So I'm covering one that I've never heard of. Rajneesh Puram. Y'all ever heard of this one? No, I have not. Yeah. Well, you're about to. You know, it blows my mind, by the way, if I could just like interject for a sec. Uh Osho, the the fella involved in all that, like he's getting kind of a big presence on YouTube. Now, like yeah. I see all sorts of Osho quotes in my feed. It's weird. Part of that is because he had a Netflix series documentary that was done in 2018, uh, which probably rose some of the uh, interest in that. Well, what I see is positive. That's the creepy part. It's but like yeah. how to live your life by Osho. And and <laughs> oh, oh, and uh, Osho is what the people call this later on. Um, at the time, it was not called Osho. Well, so a lot of cults change names over time too. Yeah, that's kind of it's almost like a rule that you got to change your name at some point. It's like metal bands. Well, people start to catch on, and then it's like, oh, you know, yep. let's, let's change, change our name. The nomenclature. Yep. 
Eh? Now it's known as CNN. <laughs> um, uh, so, during, so during the 1980s in Central Oregon, a little cult surfaced that was named after uh, an Indian guru, Bhagwan Sri Ragnish. Um, the cult was created as a religious community that is that established like a little town of thousands of mostly young people from all over the place, mostly Western, but some people came from other countries as well. And they were there to create this utopia in the Oregon desert. Now, the creators of this movement, Rajneesh and Ma Anand, uh, uh, Anand Sheila, uh, started it in India, but because of public and government pressures, they were forced to leave the country and establish their religion somewhere else. It's always a good sign. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so this happened in 1980, and then in 1981, Rajneesh relocated to the U.S. on a tourist visa. Um, he was coming here for medical purposes, uh, but turns out he just came here to start a cult. Uh, he didn't actually <laughs> have any medical purposes whatsoever. Um, so he lied about <laughs> why he was immigrating. Now, Sheila had a husband named John Shelfer. And, well, this was a pretty wealthy man. He bought this ranch uh, called the Big Muddy Ranch. It was 64,000 acres. That's big. Yeah. He bought this huge swath of land in Oregon. And Rajneesh invited his followers to come, uh, but also to sell all their belongings before they come along. Now, the reason Rajneesh established a settlement was because he wanted a town that he could govern without getting a lot of attention from authorities. Relatable. Right, exactly. <laughs> it sounds a lot like James. Now, it started as, I think, what sounds like maybe a smaller, more reasonable, not reasonable, but a, a smaller plan. But as things started to develop, they had all these law battles that they were having to do to get the correct zoning for the land to do all these things. And, well, things grew much bigger, I think, than he initially expected. You know, things, and things were pretty kumbaya at the time, even though it got bigger. And some of the thoughts and practices were kind of ahead of its time. You know, they're recycling, they're doing organic farming, huh. uh, living off their own land. So, you know, everything's going pretty smoothly. This unique blend of East meets West spirituality. I mean, it, it really was surprisingly successful. Now, after three years... The, ne the neo Sanyazans had developed their community, and it was really popping off. It had 7,000 people. What? All of the infrastructure you could imagine. That's right. Fire departments. That's a, that's a town, man. Oh, I know. Well, they had fire departments, police, restaurants, malls, townhouses, a 4,200-foot airstrip, uh, public transportation, sewage reclamation plant, a reservoir, and now its own zip code. Zipping. <laughs> That's how big this thing got. That's what James wants to yeah, do. They had their own. Yeah. I mean, they they were their own town now. They had their own roads. Like this wasn't like some nothing. Like they had their own buses, public transportation. Did now, show leave a how-to guide by any chance? <laughs> right, <laughs> right. What's really crazy about this? Uh, it, it's thought that. Maybe a substantially larger amount of people than the 7,000 actually lived there at the time because 
pertaining to some legal issues with zonings and well, a lot of illegal immigrants and people mm. and uh, homeless people that are being hidden around um, that they that they brought in. A lot of people actually hid from the authorities when they came around. Like they would even hide beds when authorities came around to hide the number of people there. Interesting. And I'll get into maybe reasons why in a little bit. Now, Rajneesh's uh, followers weren't education-wise dumb. For the most part, 10% of his followers had master's degrees, for example. Wow. And almost all the rest had college education. Now, I always like to say this when we talk about college education. Some of the dumbest mm-hmm. people I know had college education. And yeah. some of the smartest people I know didn't. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just going to go ahead and put that well, out there. You know, there's a whole meme about what, what's called midwits. You know, people who are very low IQ and people who are very high IQ often actually make the same decisions huh. for different reasons. And I think cults exemplify that very well because usually it's the average and above average crowd, the like, you know, 90 to one. 20 crowd that fall for cults more often. Yeah. Just I think I, 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 no, I just think, I think, do think that that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. I bet there's some studies that are dive into that and maybe what the psychological mm-hmm. reasons for that are. Cause it, it, it's so strange that someone who's quote unquote, highly educated just seems like they often fall for into all kinds of I feel like ridiculous. Things. I feel like they're looking for something more. It's like, they've gotten so much knowledge and they're looking for some, like the next thing, and then uh, that's kind it's of very how- plausible. It's like vegans. No offense to any vegans that are listening, but they, they don't just want to tell you about how great they are <laughs> um, <laughs> because they they're doing something that no one else is doing. <laughs> now, there's one thing I didn't mention was uh, Sheila's husband, pretty well off. He when he bought this piece of land, he bought it for five point three million dollars. So he's doing well mm. for himself. Whatever he's doing. Now, Rajneesh, like you would expect, I don't know if he quite practiced what he preached. Now, I don't, I don't want to say he's like completely in against. So his teachings told that his followers that, you know, do whatever you felt good. Materialism isn't bad. Have lots and lots of sex because it feels good with everybody. So one of the odd things about him, though, is that this cult leader has 93 Rolls Royces. 93? That's a bit too much. Rolls Royces. You'd think he'd stop after 86. Yeah. So, kind of odd. Another thing that was kind of odd is he really didn't like kids at all. So much so that he told his followers that they needed to A, sterilize, and B, break ties with any children they had. What? And any kids that did come to the commune, were neglected. That's so terrible. Yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah a- there's. I don't know if it was part of the documentary that's on Netflix. I haven't seen it. I didn't even know there was one until like two days ago, and I really want to watch it. But one of the kids that was there, he grew up there, and at the age of ten, when he left and he got to, he went to the UK, they found that he couldn't even do two plus two. Like he is, he was so uneducated and neglected that he couldn't do anything. He couldn't read. He couldn't do basic, basic math. Wow. Um, and so that's kind of the situation that they were, kids were in that did come to the compound. Well, the thing that just or town. shocks me about cults like this is like 
how do you expect to continue on the call? Like, is well, there a deadline on it? Because yeah. well, he he well, remembers the Shakers. Everybody acts like yep. the Shakers weren't a cult, but they totally were. They were a cult. They're very interesting. <laughs> I recommend everyone read about them just because it's like whoa. Uh, anyway, <laughs> sorry. Uh, less about the Shakers, more about the Russians. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, but. Anyway, so he was the the kid, or I guess he was talking about when he was a kid. He remembered being neglected and always hearing his parents having a good time, but by, by behind the wall in his in his house with various multiple multiple partners. Gross. Yeah. So it's just an awful place for a kid. Now, for a time, the the hippie life was probably good. I guess. Now, Rajneesh did work his followers really hard, long hours. You know, this a town like this doesn't pop up within three years without everyone working themselves, yeah, uh, really hard. But and he would only allow them to eat from communal areas where they grew their own food, and they all had to be vegetarians. And he really sleep deprived them. And the reason he did this was because he could easily manipulate them when they were tired. Yeah. Now, for some time, Sheila kind of took the reins. She became like the spokesperson for him. And the town began to clash with the outside forces around it. A lot of the, you know, a lot of the Christians in the area were like, this is kind of weird. A lot, just the entire town started feeling really odd. I mean, there's a lot of homeless people here. There's a lot of like, everything's kind of odd about this. Well, Sheila really starts clashing with them. And not only does she, like, <laughs> not try to make things better, she just, like, goads them. And mm. what results from this is the sequence of the largest immig- immigration fraud ever recorded, one of the largest wiretapping operations in U.S. history, and the largest bioterror attack on American soil. Bioterror wow. attack? This is what, yeah. The, so, a lot of people in the commune were, they're illegally. You know, Rajneesh, among them, was illegal. They flew a lot of people in on their airstrip. They bust a lot of homeless people in. And they did all of this in an effort to commit voter fraud. Because they wanted all of their public officials to take the power from all the surrounding areas, surrounding areas, so they could do whatever they wanted. Interesting. Wow. And so there's some of the immigration fraud that they committed. Now, Rajneesh, like I said, kind of disappeared from the public eye. I kind of forgot to mention this for a while. But then, like I said, she was a spokesperson. Well, in 1985, suddenly... About fifth, her and fifteen to twenty other top officials all bail out of town, out of nowhere. Mm. What led to that? Well, Rajneesh, who hadn't been seen or really talked to anyone publicly in a while, popped up and called for an investigation and accused Sheila of a bunch of crimes. Now, the immigration fraud wasn't really one of them, from what I read. Isn't one, of them. but there were some other things. So after the investigation, they find that they had attempted to murder Rajneesh's physician. They had wiretapped and bugged places throughout the entire town and inside his house. 
And they had also poisoned two public officials and committed arson. (laughs) Jeez. Now, that's not it. The biggest sin for them was their 1984 bioterror attack. Sheila coordinated to infect the salad bars of 10 restaurants in Wasco County. This is the area all around that of which they are in and surrounded by other towns. Uh, and they infected these salad bars with salmonella in an attempt to make the citizens so sick that they couldn't vote. Wow. So that all of their political candidates, all of Rajneesh's political candidates could win. And theirs would all lose. And the shenanigans can't happen now. Right? Oh, yeah. I'm sure they don't happen. Now. <laughs> uh, uh, and so, and so they could win and claim power in the area. You know, they 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 really want to take over. I mean, they created their own town in the desert for God's sake. <laughs> so, seven hundred and fifty-one people were infected with salmonella. Forty-five were hospitalized, and unbelievably, no deaths. Good, 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 good. Now, apparently, the uh, suspected. They all suspected Rajneesh Param, like the whole town, to be responsible for this. <laughs> like everyone around them was like, yeah, we know who did it. But there was no <laughs> formal investigation until all of this happened. Um, but what's funny is when they poisoned all these people, it instead motivated the entire towns around them. And they showed up in droves to the polls and crushed all the other candidates. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good deal. So, which was pretty cool. Now, they, like I mentioned earlier, the the homeless people that they bust in and were flying in, and all these illegal immigrants that they had. Well, they thought that they were going to get a one up with all these people that brought in, but the last or seeing what was coming, the Wasco uh, County Clerk required that all voters submit their qualifications when registering to vote. Adding this extra hurdle cut out a lot of the work that they had put into it. And so <laughs> the, all for nothing. it was almost all for nothing. Wow. And also they did do a little bit of drug smuggling. <laughs> drug smuggling. Interesting. <laughs> but for some reason, drug smuggling is the least talked about thing compared to everything else. <laughs> well, and then after all this happened, Sheila only got 26 months in prison. That's it? Wow. And, she could have killed, what, 700-something <laughs> people? Yeah. yeah. And, and Rajneesh, while banned from 20-something countries, he actually went back and moved to India, and he was a lot more low-key, and he died later in the... Uh, he died in 1990. Yeah. But he, he, he kind of stayed low-key... Um, after all these events, the commune completely fell apart. Uh, there's still people that follow this to this day. They even use whatever name he gave them. Like he would give them individual names. Some people still use the names, but it really fell apart when all of this came out and people just kind of bailed. It was just time to leave this place. Is the city still there? Yeah, the city's still there. Uh, I think people, uh, from what I saw, people still live there, um, but they're not all Rajneshians, <laughs> or whatever you want to call them. Yes, they're 
cheap real estate when everybody had to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, and I, I'm sorry, I misspoke when I said 26 months. Uh, she got 20, 20 years in prison. Oh, okay, good. Sorry, oh, sorry. that's a little bit better. better. Yeah, sorry, I misspoke. I was looking at my 26 months uh, or 26 countries that Rajneesh uh, okay, <laughs> was banned from. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, but she got twenty. She got twenty years. Okay, well, that makes me feel a little bit better. Yeah. So, uh, just a little fun fact: Ariana Huffington and her husband were part of that cult. Who? Who are these people? The journalists. The Huffington. You know Ariana Huffington. Oh, mm. like like Huffington Post. I think so. Yeah. Interesting. Well. Yeah. Yeah, I think. It's, yeah, that's right. Huffington. I went. I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, the journalist. Yeah. James is questioning everything that he knows. Oh, <laughs> maybe he's going to join the cult. Well, James. Oh, oh, sorry, guys. One more correction, real quick. Go for it. She she got out after serving thirty nine months of her twenty year sentence. Oh, come on. <laughs> that happens way too. Often. And then moved to Switzerland. And the the reason I want to watch this documentary, they went and found her in the woods of Switzerland and interviewed her for the, for the <laughs> thing ambush interview. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it was an ambush or not. I don't know how prominent she is in it. Yeah. But yeah, they went and found her and mm. interviewed her about all this. Well, 39 months for the largest bio- bioterror attack on U.S. soil. Oh, gosh. Amazing. Wow. Not committed by the U.S., of course. Uh, I'm just <clears throat> I'm just annoyed that people can get away with things like that with just a little... It feels like a little slap on the wrist. Like, oh, you went to jail for 39 months. Yeah, I know. That is a slap on the wrist. That's nothing. Yeah. Well, it's my turn, you guys. Yeah. I'm going next. Let me pull up my notes. All right, you guys. And I got lots of my information today from apologeticsindex.org, grunge.com, JapanTimes.co.jp and Wikipedia. All right. This. And boys, I am going to be talking about a cult that struck me because of its obsession with feet. Oh. Yes, I said feet boys. Okay. They're feet boys? (laughs) They're feet. (laughs) And this is the Honohana Senpogyo cult. A.K.A. the foot reading cult. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. It all started with this guy named Hogan Fukunaga. And I can't remember. He's That's not his. Hogan isn't his first name. He's got another one. I think it was Hulk. Terry Terry Yoshi. But he, have you ever heard of him before, you guys? No. Well, he used to actually rub elbows with the Clinton family. Very briefly. Mm-hmm. George Clinton didn't really know him. But anyways. But let me tell you about this Hogan fellow. Okay, you guys? So the year is 1987. Everyone's just minding their own business. Enjoying their 89 cents a gallon gasoline. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Watching their new hit television series, Full House. Oh. Yes. Everyone except for Hogan Fukunaga. In 1987, he was doing some deep internal reflection all of a sudden, you realize that he was actually the reincarnation of. Can you guys guess who? Footy McFootface. Uh, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. J- Jesus Christ. But James, that's not it. He's also the reincarnation of Buddha. Oh, he's a combo. Oh. He's yeah. He's a wow. combo. He's a double threat. Someone to punch. Yes, he's but 
his <laughs> cult operations. <laughs> What'd you say, James? Izuda. Jizuda. Oh my gosh. Well, well, his cult operations. <laughs> they they started well before he had this epiphany about who he was. In 1980, he apparently began preaching religiously, but at that time, he was just the last savior. So he's like, okay, I'm the last savior. Jesus and Buddha were before me. Now I'm here. But then all of a sudden, he's like them. Okay. So, yeah, at some point, he realized he was both of them, I guess. And I read on Wikipedia, it said that he started out as an electrician, or maybe it was grunge.com. I can't remember exactly, but he was an electrician, and he had, like, lots of debt. And then mm. all of this stuff started up, but maybe he maybe stuck his finger in an outlet, and this, that's when this epiphany happened. <laughs> <laughs> he said that he was he was the voice of God, I think, at one point, but definitely got it. He or the voice of heaven, I think, is what he said. But he he must have been very charismatic because he did start to gain quite a following, as the more effective cult leaders often do, as I know Ooh. you guys know because we've been doing research on cults. But his whole shtick was, hey, follow me, and I can cure you and purify you of any trouble or malady you might be facing. I love it. Yeah, yeah. you Yeah, and he did so by reading people's feet. Feet. Oh, yes. boy. We got a pervert on our hands, well, people. This <laughs> is where the feet come into the picture. So you know how psychics might read your palm? Yeah. Yeah, he did that except with with the feet and the toes and the digits. Tarantinism. It's crazy, but fun fact, when I was doing this research and I'm like reading about the psychics and stuff and how they do the readings, I remembered when I was in elementary school, I actually went to a Halloween party where they had a quote unquote psychic. It was really just like the girl's mom, but she did a reading for me, my palm reading. And she said, someday you're going to marry somebody whose name starts with an A. And was she right? Was she psychic? or? Anyways, we'll never know. But you know what I do know? I do know that Mr. Hogan and his followers swindling a ton of money out of poor, desperate people by reading their feet and telling them that they had some awful luck or some terrible illness or even a death in their future. And the readings were expensive. Can you guys guess how much money people were paying at some points for these? So this is in the 90s. The late 1980s and the 1990s. Okay. Gas is 89 cents. Gas is 89 cents. Yes. Well, if these are that expensive, I'm going to guess. I don't know why I'm approaching this. Like, it's like one of our trivia episodes. I know. That's what I'm like. James is just sitting on the other (laughs) side of the microphone right now sweating because he hates the numbers. $7,000. $7,000. James, what about you? 12. 12. That's you, guys, you guys both overestimated. There's other things that cost that <laughs> much. $12. I'm, uh, I'm 1000 Well, <laughs> He would charge people up to $900. And wow. I think that's at the beginning. I bet you there was more. But $900 to look at your feet, tell you what, what's going to happen to you. But the thing that I, I started comparing this, it was like, how much does a podiatrist cost? On average, a podiatrist per answersforeveryone.com Will cost you anywhere between $60 to $400, depending upon, you know, the practice. But meanwhile, Fukunaga and his Honohana team are charging people $900, and housewives seem to be their easiest prey for them. They really concentrated on that demographic, because I guess they really wanted to know, what does my future hold? Look at my foot and tell me. And here's a personal story from one of the victims per grunge.com. They actually wrote that a victim 
It was some guy who's really worried that he might have contracted HIV. So Fukunaga did the little foot reading. He was like, yep, you're definitely going to get diagnosed with AIDS. And so <laughs> this poor guy who's already paranoid, he's freaking out. And then Fukunaga's like, wait, if you give me $6,000, maybe, just maybe, we can find a way to get you, you know, to, to get the AIDS away. <laughs> And so this guy got another foot session. Pay the AIDS away. Well, they they determined that if he bought a magical scroll, Ooh. it would protect him from the AIDS. So the guy gave Honohana $34,000 for a protective scroll. Please tell me the scroll was like in Kung Fu Panda, where it's just a reflection of themselves when they <laughs> open it. <laughs> well, this was a very common thing for this cult to do. They would, quote unquote, read people's feet. And then tell them, you're going to die. You're going to get cancer. You're going to have this incurable disease. But you could opt to attend one of my seminars and I'll teach you how to avoid it. Or you could buy a protective ornament or a scroll or some type of trinket. And that's expensive as heck if you want one of those things. So I'm not 100% in the loop with what Honohana's seminars were like i know that they were expensive like they some of them cost twenty two thousand dollars to attend and per grunge.com which is where i did get most of my info there are actually claims of people dying at the seminars like one guy one of his his family played with their feet too much oh no they Alex, <laughs> no they filed a lawsuit because the guy fell out of a window during one of the training sessions so fukunaga actually used a lot of high status people to like boost his cloud tactic. Yeah. And so he spent some time with Margaret Thatcher. He rubbed elbows with mother Teresa and Pope John Paul II. So I'm sure that that made people think that he was like legit. Do you think he rubbed elbows or ankles? (laughs) (laughs) That, that was actually a funny joke, Alex, but he got all entangled in a campaign controversy with Bill Clinton. So the DNC is kind of, it's very complex, but the DNC held this fundraiser in 1996. The guy named Yogesh Gandhi, who claimed that the real Gandhi was his great granduncle, <laughs> he decided he wanted to make a contribution and he arranged to present Clinton with money in the Mahatma Gandhi World Peace Award, which is like a bust of Gandhi and money. And he wanted to give it to Clinton for his contribution to quote, the betterment of mankind. Okay. Okay. So it turns out that Yogesh was a fraud. Um, (laughs) Might not have been really related to Gandhi. And I think that Gandhi's family even like pressed charges and said, Hey, this guy's using our family's name to do things. But at the event, don't quote me on that because I need to need to look further into that. But at the event, Hogan Fukunaga was the one who actually presented Clinton with the award. So you can look up pics online. They're still out there. But it did come to light that Yogesh was a fraud eventually. And the money that he gave to the DNC uh, likely wasn't legitimate. So they had to give the money back. Blah, 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 blah. (laughs) There was an investigation and they wanted to interview Fukunaga. But he was like, no, I'm not going to be interviewed. And he refused. So it it was a crazy day. You know, it was crazy. But at the, like yeah, at the end of the day, Honohana ended up swindling a reported $447 million from its victims. Oof. I think it was like 600 billion yen, but th- that was over a 13 year run. 
And Fukunaga, his lifestyle was very lavish. Apparently, he wore $5,000 suits, which always makes me think of Arrested Development, where Drake uh, is me wearing too. it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Say that to a man in a $5,000 suit. <laughs> so I just picture him talking to people like that. His wife would apparently spend between six to $7,000 every month shopping. Oof. Which just, I don't know why, but that stresses me out thinking about it. Like... Oh, I would like to have more money, but where are you going to put all that stuff that you bought? But they had no wonder he had a sort of cold. Well, they had a <laughs> big compound, I guess, this is a, a little facility where they practice. I guess it's where they did all of their seminars and stuff. But you know, people started being like, "Hey, Fukunaga, you said I was going to get this awful disease. It hasn't happened. Is it the scroll, or did you really just swindle me out of all my my money, out of my my life <laughs> savings?" And so they started pressing charges, or not pressing charges, um, filing lawsuits against him. Ah. And then the police are like, okay, we should probably investigate this guy, right? Yeah. Yeah, and so they did. And he was eventually sentenced to 12 years in prison for his fraudulent activity. Mm. 15 other cult leaders ended up doing time too. I don't think it was that, that much time just for fraud. Some of them were also charged with practicing medicine without a license. <laughs> So, you know, always, gotta, it's always, that always makes me mad. It's, it's the crimes like fraud and whatnot, which are bad crimes, but it's like, but you poison a bunch of people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it's, yeah. 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 Like, the, the cult, which did have like a religious stamp on it. Like it was a religious organization. It was eventually revoked <laughs> <laughs> and they went bankrupt in 2001 but I tried to find where Fukunaga is now, and I could not, for the life of me, find where this guy is or what he is doing now. If he went to prison, I, I really don't know how much of his time he actually spent in prison. So it's weird because it's like you, there are all these, and there's really not that much information on this mm-hmm. particular cult. It, it's It's bizarre. But yeah, I don't know where he is. One of the most disturbing things that I ran into when I was doing my research, though, was the stupid websites with, number one, the foot pictures, which I know that some people like feet, some people hate feet. Uh, there were some nasty-looking feet I'm online. Not a, I'm not a feet person. Pot, it's called potophilia, by the way. Not for me. Not for me, but I saw that. And then these these websites that you went to also had, like, the earwax cleaning ads or the tonsil stone ads i don't want to see that i don't want to see that no maybe that's what he's doing now (laughs) maybe (laughs) uh maybe i don't know but wherever he is he's he's out there somewhere he could be i don't i don't know he could be gone but you guys that is the honohana foot cult the foot reading cult bizarre james what are you talking about I'm talking about the Church of the Firstborn of the Lamb of God, a.k.a. Church of the Firstborn of the Fullness of Times, a.k.a. Church of the Firstborn. And, yeah, no (laughs) shock that changed their name a bunch. Um, And a little backstory on this. This is a Mormon cult, and, in fact, it's often called the Manson of Mormons. But uh, to give a little backstory, two things need to be addressed before I continue. One is a controversial prophecy by joseph smith the founder of lds the founder of mormonism uh called one mighty and strong and it's a parallel to a prophecy in isaiah 
And pretty much what it says is that somebody who is mighty and strong will show up one day and set in order the house of God and arrange for the inheritances of the Latter-day Saints. So it's this notion that, you know, a leader is going to come to you when things are, are bad and, and, you know, set everything right. Mm. It's a very controversial prophecy because it's actually led to a lot of schisms over who this one mighty and strong is. Speaking the of rock. controversial, there's also a very disputed doctrine in Mormonism called blood atonement. And it's this idea that some sins cannot be redeemed purely through Christ's sacrifice. In other words, they can't be redeemed through uh, confessing uh, your sins and, and accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Instead, you have to be killed. And you have to be oh, killed what? in a way where your blood is on the ground. Again, very controversial. So I can't imagine so, why. Yeah, so much so that the the actual LDS denies that it's valid, and they have so for over a century. In fact, they've actually done so since 1889, and they call it fiction, and they say it's a, a principle that's never been implemented. Please don't believe it, and yet there are some people who do. Huh. So <laughs> with those two things out of the way, um, so Joseph Smith, as I mentioned, he founded the LDS, the, the Mormon Church, and one of his earliest followers was a fellow named Benjamin Johnson. And Johnson was a big fan of Mormonism, largely because it allowed for polygamy. And he was a big fan of that. Um, <laughs> but then they renounced polygamy. And like a lot of Mormon cults, Johnson and his family were like, no, 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 we're going to we're going to keep doing that. Uh, we'll, we'll go over here. You guys you guys do whatever you want. But we're going to be polygamists over here. So. In 24, his grandson, Alma LeBaron, decides, senior, he decides, you know what, let's move to Mexico because uh, the U.S. government's really after polygamists, and that's kind of our whole shtick. So let's go to Juarez in Chihuahua province in, in Mexico. Or is it a province or a state? I don't know how that works in Mexico. I think it's a state. Anyway, <laughs> they moved to, to, to Juarez, okay, Colonia Juarez. And Alma... What's really interesting about this whole story is you're dealing with a cult where instead of the schisms that normally come from succession issues where it just peters out after the, the fearless leader dies, instead it just keeps going and it gets worse every successive leader. It's really a very unusual example of a cult just for that. So anyway, Dayer says that he, and, and more notably his his ancestor Johnson, his grandpa, Benjamin Johnson, was the rightful successor to, successor to Smith and that uh, he was appointed to be his successor. So in other words, he's the real head honcho of Mormonism, not, not those frauds in Utah. Uh -uh. So he does that, and he's not a very nice guy, but he doesn't do anything outlandish that I can see other than polygamy. <laughs> so, But he, after he dies, he, has, he ends up having three sons with only one of them having a remotely normal name. So he's got Joel, and he's got Ervil, and he's got Verlin. These are like Harry Potter names. Verlin. So, yeah, Verlin, Ervil, and Joel. So Joel <laughs> starts the church itself that I'm describing. The Church of the Firstborn of the Fullness of Times is what he calls it. And Ervil is his his like VP, you know? He's he's doing all this stuff. He actually has a lot of power. And Verlin has power, but not like Ervil. And what ends up happening is Ervil and Joel start fighting over who really gets to call the shots. Mm. And Ervil says, you know what? 
in addition to polygamy, we should totally bring back blood atonement. I just think it's a good idea. And Joel's like, no, let's not, let's not do that. So what ends up happening is Herbal decides, you know what? Not only am I a staunch advocate for blood atonement, uh, I think the first person we should do that to is my brother Joel, and then I'll be in charge. And that's what they do. Oh, no. I mean, yeah, full-blown fratricide. So in 72, he decides, you know, I'm going to get some two dudes, uh, Daniel Ben Jordan and Gamaliel Rios. Again, all these weird flipping names. Daniel Ben Jordan. I was told to never trust anybody who has two first names. We has three. (laughs) I know. Yeah. Um, Well, I'm more weirded out by Gamaliel. It sounds like a villain from Neon Genesis Evangelion. But... uh, (laughs) So they they kill him. They do full blown blood atonement. They mm. they spill his blood on the ground. He dies. And the people who see this, they're like, "Oh man, this is so scary. We're not even going to testify. We're we're flipping scared." So naturally, as a direct result of this, now Ervil's in charge of everything, and a lot of the people switch sides. They're like, "Yeah, yeah, we we like we liked you the whole time, Ervil. Please don't blood atone us." And <laughs> a few of them don't. But a lot of them, they're they're kind of up a creek. They their choices are really to flee, which is what Verlin ended up doing, or uh, you know just pretend to re- be on board with this. So, by the way, Verlin had an underage thirteenth wife. I know what you're thinking. Thirteen is not enough. But uh, <laughs> her name her name was Rena Chenoweth, uh, known notably. She's the mother of. of uh, Christian Chenoweth. No, just kidding. They're two totally different. James. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, they actually used this underage thirteenth wife to lure out Verlin after Verlin had fled, hmm. and they actually flew through firebombs at different houses, shot multiple innocent people, just residents around, uh, killing two people and injuring thirteen, just to flush Verlin out. Golly. Now, that alone is horrible, but not only that, they were stupid because Berlin had already moved to Nicaragua, and they didn't know. So (laughs) What? Yeah. Now, Ervil gets arrested, but there's not enough evidence that he was behind it, so he gets loose. Of course. So bear in mind, this guy is, like, not getting in any trouble for multiple killings taking place. Wow. So one of... uh, One of... One of the fathers of Ervil's wives, Bud Chenoweth, which, again, don't even know if he's the father of Rena, as I previously mentioned, because some of these names, there's a lot of overlaps. But he's like, I'm going to the police. So Ervil's like, no, you're not. So he actually has his 10th wife, Vonda. (laughs) These Harry Potter names. Uh, (laughs) Drive Zarate, who is Bud's wife. Uh, her, Her actual first name's Noemi. So, again, once again, weird name. And Killer. So they, nobody ever found her body, by the way. Golly. So, yeah. Now, in the 70s to 80, uh, 75 to 80, Ervil decides, you know what? I could use a change of scenery. Mexico, mm, let's go to San Diego. So, <laughs> yeah. So he, he actually communicated with a number of other polygamous folks who were actually in that area. And he's like, listen you guys need to change your allegiance to the church of the lamb of God, which is the new name for it and tithe me accordingly. In other words, you know, grease my palms. Yeah. Yeah. Robert Simons, who was a leader of a small sect like that in Utah, he's like, no, you're a bad guy. 
And this was only because he found out Ervil wanted to marry one of his wives. <laughs> so <laughs> lo and behold, Simons gets killed by Mark Chenoweth and uh, Eddie Marston on Ervil's orders. So once again, he's <laughs> killing more people and just getting away with it. So then Dean Vest is like, well, I'm leaving. Earl doesn't sit too well with that either. So uh, he's also mad that he didn't sell a houseboat that he owned in order to tithe uh, the proceeds to his cult. So once again, Vonda <laughs> comes to play and kills Dean in her kitchen. Oh, man. She gets convicted of the murder, but Erbil is not tied to it. And Erbil, in fact, informs her that just by doing this, she's 100% guaranteed no matter what happens now going to heaven. And with a guy like this, you know he's got to be right. So in 77, he orders the death of his own teenage daughter, Rebecca, who was pregnant. She was the wife of Mark Chenoweth, and she he, he was this is what happened. She was mad that she'd been separated from her son, who was only like two years old. So she's like, if I don't get to see my son, I'm going to the police. So they stuffed her body in the trunk of a car after killing her, and uh, some people actually think that she was actually still alive and that that was how they killed her. So, yeah, he kills his own pregnant daughter. Um, Not a nice guy, as you could probably infer so far. So, uh, yeah, not not too pleased. Now, his wife, Rebecca, um, or sorry, Delfina, Rebecca was the daughter, uh, finds out that Erbil has killed her daughter. She gets mad, and she says, you shouldn't have done that. So one of the other daughters says, hey, if you don't calm down and accept that this was a good thing, you will get blood atoned. This is, I mean, this is bananas type stuff. So she, instead of, of staying put like everybody else seems to do, she's like, ah, I got to get out of here. So she and her youngest daughter fly back to Mexico. And by fly, I mean flee, you know, like the, for the past. Okay. Anyway, Ervil decides, you know what? I've got some unfinished business. Verlin is still alive somewhere. I'm going to flush him out again. First time failed, let's try it again. So, what he decides to do is kill Rulin Alred, who's the leader of the Apostolic United Brethren, another polygamous sect. There's a lot of these, and they're still around, by the way. So, they they kill him because they know that Verlin is probably going to show up at the funeral. And, yeah, they... He totally did, but Verlin was not to be outsmarted. He actually had the police show up all over the funeral. Oh. So, you know, yeah, those were some good cops getting told, hey, by the way, a batshit crazy uh, murderer is going to be at the funeral. Maybe instead, but you'd think they would have arrested him by now. But anyway, um, Erbil sees that there's all these cops and he's like, I got to get out of here. So he flees to Mexico. But when he's there, he actually gets arrested finally. And he's convicted for planning Allred's murder. This is the first time he'd ever been charged with a crime in America. First time ever, despite killing multiple people. So he gets incarcerated in Utah. And while he's there, he writes Book of the New Covenants, which contains a list of 50 people that they should kill. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yes. He died in jail. Uh, and it, his brother actually died in a car crash in Mexico several days later, which has been marked as a coincidence, but I don't flip and know. So as soon as he's dead, though, um, his his son, who had already been named by him as his successor, Arturo LeBaron, decides, you know, hey, I'm in charge now. And boy, did he not fall far from the tree. Um, oh. Car theft, murderers. 
Um, I mean, yeah, any, anytime anybody wanted to leave, he'd have one of their kids or one of their wives or somebody in the group kill them. So when he was in charge, though, I guess he was just less charismatic. A lot of the OGs, <laughs> including Rena, uh, they moved away. They decided, you know, we don't really want to be part of this. So after Arturo dies, Heber LeBaron comes in charge. And similar stuff, blood atonement, killing people, uh, you know, anybody who's, you know, crosses the cult, got to go. Multiple, multiple people, um, multiple members of his own family, children, wives, etc., were killed because they objected to something. He also would pimp out his uh, sisters and his wives uh, in order to get favor with Mexican politicians and to cover for all the criminal enterprises that they were engaged in. So, I mean, it's just bananas. And you might think, well, at least uh, all that's finally over and done with. Well, in 2009, <laughs> wow. they, uh, they actually got national news because uh, they were actually doing a lot of drug trafficking in Mexico, which again, Juarez is kind of a hot spot for that. It's sort of known for that. One of the cartels that take, that does stuff in this area is not your standard cartel at all, but actually the church of the firstborn. Um, in fact, Donald cool. Trump actually said, and this was uh, 2019, this was, this was like three years ago because of a massacre in Sonora, where a lot of people, including dual U.S. Mexican citizens, were killed and left burned alive in three I vehicles. I remember uh, that. As a, as a result, uh, do what? I, I remember reading about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, th this was this was the the catalyst for Trump saying we need to wage war on the drug cartels. That was actually the catalyst for that notable speech. Was wow. the flippant? Yeah, exactly. These narco terrorists weren't just any narco terrorists; they were part of the LeBaron family. So, in other words, they're still operational. Still operational, and there you are yep. talking about them, James. Yep. Oi, oi, oi. Don't hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Well, they're where are they located now? Um, a few places, and uh, again. There's so many polygamous sects uh, all over America and all over Central and South America, but they're mostly situated in uh, Chihuahua. <coughs> okay, so they're still kind of at home base. Yeah, yeah. Not. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a sufficient number in, in San Diego still, but mostly Mexico. Well, James, that's absolutely insane. It sure is. It's been a crazy cold episode, hasn't it? It sure has. We've talked about three very different cults, which is... Yeah, they were very different. Interesting. But anyways, well... A cult for everybody. Um, <clears throat> Is it time to draw from the vase, Alex? Sure is. It's right over there. Oh, oh, found it. Bet you guys are loving hearing this noise because it's been a while since you heard it. It has been a while. <laughs> Ooh. We're talking about Haunted Lakes next week. Ooh, who submitted it? Eddie R. Eddie R. Eddie R. So you guys, James, James, do you know any Haunted Lakes? Not to my knowledge, unless Loch Ness Monster's a ghost. <laughs> that would be crazy. No, there's Well, actually, one... there's a theory about that. Oh, my God, I know what I'm covering. James knows what he's covering. I know what I'm covering, because uh, we've got a, a lake that is near 
us that is supposedly haunted. Haven't I covered that? I don't think so. I don't think you've done Lake Lanier before. Okay. I don't think so, but what do you think? we're going to talk about Haunted Lakes next week. All right. All right, Alex, who does our music? Our music is by Grant Cook. You can find his music on Spotify, iTunes, uh, anywhere you Spotify, listen to music. I don't know, Amazon Music, anywhere <laughs> you listen to music. You guys, until next week, we hope that you can keep, keep it straight. straight. Yeah.